I'm convinced that Detroit has the natural resources, the technological capacity, the grit and resiliency, and the experience of systemic failure that I, I think that combination makes it a really potent place to rethink everything from how we think about public transportation to how we provide energy to how we manufacture goods. Katie, Katie, let it out with Katie, let it out with Katie, devout enthusiast and curator of people and ideas, you need to hear. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to Let It Out, hosted by me, Katie Dalebout. And welcome. If it's your first time, if you've been listening for a while, welcome back. I'm particularly excited today because I'm launching a new mini-series starting with this episode. So for those of you who don't know, I live in Detroit, Michigan. I grew up in Michigan, but I didn't grow up here in this area. I actually moved for a job about three years ago. And after being here for a while, I realized that I love it here. I love the vibe. I love the landscape. I love the grit. I love the art, the food. But most of all, I love the people. And that was the inspiration for this podcast. I want to introduce you to all of those people So like I said, there are really cool people here. A lot of young people are moving to the city, artists, entrepreneurs, just all sorts of fascinating people, and many of them have become my non-internet exclusive real-life friends. And I've made so many friends through this podcast, but a lot of them have been internet friends simply because they live all over the place, and I've gotten to visit them and meet them in person, and that's been fantastic, but there's something about local friends community. I get to meet these people in person. I get to physically touch them and see them and have coffee with them and share a meal with them. And today is the first installment of someone from here in Detroit. I have Christian, the founder of the brand Laszlo, which you are going to hear all about and all about his story in today's episode. But just a quick intro to him. He Went to school at Princeton, then moved back to Michigan, to Detroit, to start his company, which is Laszlo, which is this the most sustainable company that I've ever seen, really doing things differently, doing things in a really, really cool way. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear all about that, which you will very, very shortly. But first, I just want to talk a little bit more about this mini-series. Like I said, I am psyched for it. I'm calling it Highlight Detroit because that's exactly what I want to do. I want to highlight some of these really cool people and ideas that are in this area that I am and just shine a spotlight on this area of the country that maybe not everyone listening knows about or at least hears a lot about. And I think that you should, because like I said, there's cool stuff happening here, you guys. And we hear a lot from people in bigger cities like New York and LA, and I've been guilty of that with the people that I've been portraying in this podcast. And I want there to be 
all sorts of more diversity in this podcast, which is something that I'm making a really big effort to do. And part of that is I want to have people on from my own backyard. And I've had a little bit of that, but I really want to showcase some of the people who are living right by me. And today is the first episode of that. So for the next hour plus a little bit, welcome to Detroit. And who knows, maybe someday we can all actually meet here in person and we can do a live episode where you all get to meet each other and me and a lot of my cool friends here. So let's just hope for that in the future. And until then, enjoy my episode with Christian. But I forgot the announcements. So really quickly, if you like this show, you already know what to do. Share it with a friend. Leave a review on iTunes. Subscribing on iTunes. Just, you know, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you know you're going to listen to another episode anyway, you might as well. It helps the show out a ton. It helps me a ton. And honestly, this is one of the most enriching things that I do. It's one of my favorite things. You know, it is my favorite thing that I do in my life. I love it so much and honestly I get to do it because of you so thank you first of all and I just want to tell you why I love it I get to curate these amazing people I get to hand pick who I want to come on the podcast and immerse myself into their work I get to research them And it's so much fun because that's something I would want to do anyway because I really admire these people. And then I get to have a live conversation with them. And then I get to share it with you and discuss your thoughts and feelings about it. It's just this amazing positive feedback loop of joy and happiness. And I love it. It does take a lot of work though. So sharing the show and leaving a review on iTunes, even though it seems like a silly, annoying thing, it really helps a ton. And another thing that helps is this show's sponsor this week, which is Amazon. You all know Amazon. You love Amazon. So this week when you're shopping on Amazon, just go ahead and click through my website on the link that we have in the show notes or on my website and shop as you normally would on Amazon. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but Amazon will toss a couple pennies our way to keep producing the show and up-leveling the show. I want to make the show better. I want this to be Ira Glass quality, This American Life quality, NPR quality for you. So I need a lot more time to do that. And hopefully it does keep improving and I improve as a host and the content keeps improving. But right now, I'm really excited about what I'm putting out there and I'm really excited about everyone who's listening and the community that we've created. If you haven't already joined the Facebook group, go ahead and join that. I would love to meet you guys there. It's getting bigger and bigger every day, which I love. So make sure you are there. Make sure you sign up for my email list. That's where I'm going to tell you who's coming up on the show next week. So make sure you're signed up there. And that's it. I'm going to finally... Finally, thank you for that very long intro for still listening, or maybe you fast-forwarded. Either way, it is now finally time to get to my conversation with the founder of Laszlo. Welcome back, everyone, to the show. I'm so excited to share with you guys somebody local, although we're still recording over Skype, but... Christian Berkey, the founder of Laszlo, a sustainably sourced and really awesome fashion line produced here in Detroit, 
is here to talk about what he does and how he got to where he is. And I'm so excited to feature him and everything he's doing. I met Christian at a Creative Mornings talk he did a couple weeks ago, and I've been really excited to do this interview ever since. So thanks so much for being here, Christian. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to share the story. Yeah, yeah. So I remember from the talk um, that you said that you and your sister have always been entrepreneurial ever since you were a kid and you started a admissions-free lawn service, right? When you were super young. So Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so let's zoom the lens all the way back to then and then hopefully you can kind of like start us there and start to bring us up closer to the present and how you came up with the idea for what you do now. Yeah, so going all the way back, I guess this all started uh, around the time that I was 10 with that that first venture that you mentioned I had no idea then what it would lead to, but it's interesting to look back and see how clear the path has been. So it really started with uh, an opportunity. A couple of neighbors uh, asked me to mow their lawn, and I I grew up in a a beautiful, tiny town on the west side of the state called Glen, Michigan, near Saugatuck. Um, That's a lot of tourist cottages, um, and a couple of our neighbors that had, had cottages asked me to mow their lawn. And I was excited. I thought it was great. I was going to get to drive a tractor. It was going to be fun. Uh, and then with some help from our parents, started to do a little bit of research about uh, the impacts of lawn mowing. Uh, and it turned out that gas-powered mowers polluted 40 times faster than cars because they had no, uh, there were no small engine emission regulations at the time. And all of a sudden, you know, making a little bit of money didn't sound quite as exciting because it came at the expense of the environment. It meant that I would be breathing whatever pollution I was putting in the air, and I really didn't want to be responsible for that. Uh, So we started looking for alternative ways to mow lawns and found an interesting alternative. It was an Amish-built lawnmower. It's an old-fashioned real-type lawnmower, so these these mowers have wheels that drive blades, these cylindrical blades that don't need a motor. Uh, they're just driven by the motion of the of the the wheels. And we found this Amish-built mower that was pulled by a pony, and we ended up buying a pony named Clementine. Uh, and my sister and I did this. I was 10 at the time. She was 12. And we started Clementine's Lawn Service, named after the pony. And uh, it was great in that we got, you know, we got the fun of doing something different, but what was really inspiring was having, you know, over the eight or nine years that we ran the business, having thousands of conversations about why on earth were we mowing lawns with a pony. I mean, every week there'd be new people staying at these cottages, and they all had the same question, and it was this chance to kind of look at the choices that we make in our daily lives. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily harder to mow a lawn with a real-type mower or with a solar-powered mower, which we also had. Uh, but the hard part was making the decision to look for options that were different than what everyone else was doing and recognizing that we had a choice uh, and accepting that the way that we did things wasn't okay and we had to change that. So that's where it all got started, I guess. Yeah, that's really cool. So. It's 
I, this quote comes up in almost every one of these interviews that I do, but that Steve Jobs quote where he says, you know, you can't connect the dots moving forward. You can only do so going back. And so it's so cool to hear these origin stories where at the time you would have no idea that that business would be kind of, you know, the first step for what you and your sister are doing now, which is really cool. So it's great that you guys had such awesome parents that were able to help educate you and facilitate you learning you know, what you did about sustainability and about what was actually going on with the lawnmower. So were your parents really um, environmental and did they really pass that on to you or how did that really work? I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, yes, I would say, I guess would be the short answer. Uh, They've always taught us to think about the way that we impact the people around us, whether that's, uh, you know, acting with kindness and empathy and understanding or whether that's you know saying how does my business impact the quality of life of the you know the community and the environment around me and so that i mean that attitude was something that that's been ingrained in me from the beginning but i think what was really special was that they encouraged us to try new things and supported us in doing something different um, there was never any pressure to do any of this, but the encouragement was always there. Yeah, that's good. That's so valuable to what you're doing now. And really, it sounds like it really shaped you guys. So now bring us up a little bit closer to the present um, with talking about how the idea for Laszlo came to be. And, you know, I mentioned I met you at the Creative Mornings talk you spoke at and the theme that month was ethics and your brand was so perfect for that topic, for that theme. So when did you get the idea? You know, I know you went away to school and some things happened then. So bring us up a little bit closer to how you got the idea and then what happened next. So after the, I'll kind of continue the narrative a little bit after the the lawn service ended up getting involved in projects that ranged from, sustainable development to international aid work, but really around this core of social and environmental justice. And going off to college, I ended up going to Princeton and I studied politics because I thought that uh, policy and politics was the place that I could make the biggest difference. Uh, And I knew how lucky I had been and how blessed I had been with opportunities and felt like part of you know, the responsibility of having that was then to give back or do what I could to improve the world around me. So I studied politics. Um, I wrote a thesis on prison policy and kind of two things came out of it. One was that at, the, <laughs> at, at this point in my life, politics or policy was not necessarily something that excited me or felt like a good fit. And the other thing that came out of that was that I just started to understand the level of disaster, I guess, that uh, our prison system has become. And I started to look at the systemic issues across that criminal justice system from the economic policy to the, um, to the sentencing laws. And that really got me interested in... Uh, diving into this problem on a more concrete level 
And I had a chance while I was, uh, or right around the time I was writing this thesis, to tutor in a prison out in New Jersey. And over and over again, I saw or heard from men who were unsure how they were ever going to get a job after they got out. Uh, and so I became really interested in why they weren't getting jobs and what we could do about providing opportunities for men that were, and women, but the majority of men who were ready to get out and do whatever they could to make sure they never went back to prison uh, and perhaps to get, you know, provide or get that first opportunity that they didn't have before they ended up in prison. Yeah. So then where do we go from there? How does, um, how does Laszlo come into play? So it, it was a bit, again, a roundabout path, but at the same time that I was doing this work on prison policy, I had a chance to get involved in some projects around fashion on campus. Uh, one of them was a sustainable fashion show that I participated in, and this was right around the time that the factory collapsed in Bangladesh, the largest tragedy in the garment industry. Uh, over a thousand workers were killed. And being involved in these shows and seeing some of the, the tragedies that were happening within the garment industry abroad, I started to look at the clothing that I was wearing and where it was from. And really it kind of hit me, the disconnect between the values that I was living by and this life focused around social and environmental justice and then the, the clothes that I, were wearing, or I was wearing that were um, made for the most part by child laborers in developing countries in slave-like conditions and using toxic chemicals. And I had no idea how I would connect this interest in um, providing opportunities or addressing the lack of opportunity for men that were getting out of prison. I had no idea how that would relate to sustainable fashion, but I knew that I was interested in both of these issues. Um, and like I mentioned, I was I had been a little bit frustrated being just in the policy realm and the theoretical realm, and I was looking to do something more on the ground and get involved in something more creative. I've always been a creative person, a visual person, and so I ended up graduating in 2013, moving back to Michigan, uh, committing to starting something in Detroit, and I I soon found out that the Department of Corrections was training guys who were trained to sew, or was training guys who were in prison how to sew. They were making inmate uniforms, they were making guard uniforms, uh, and realized that, you know, this population of returning citizens that had spent time on an industrial sewing machine would be a great uh, part of our workforce if I wanted to make sustainable fashion. So I committed to doing that in the fall of 2013 with this vague idea that uh, I would focus on design and make high quality, well, simple but beautiful, timeless menswear. That was really where the idea started. I started with the thought that maybe I would make about 30 different items, design a full collection. I quickly realized uh, the immense challenges that go along with making something uh, and narrowed it down from 30 items down to seven and eventually down to a white t-shirt and it felt like a white t-shirt was a, a project or a, a product that I could go all in on uh, and I was 
learning more and more just how dysfunctional our approaches to consumption and production are and this project kind of has continued to grow into an exploration of what's possible and what a, a better system across the board might look like so you know we, we decided to start with this white t-shirt but but that's in many ways just a vessel for uh, what I hope is a rethinking of um, the products that we fill our lives with yeah, it sounds like it's really, you know, kind of goes back to your original business, the lawn service, and you are really educating people and changing the way people think about where their clothes are from just by, you know, being the example, which I think is is super cool. So I want to pick up on a couple of the things you said when you were when you were telling the story. So why fashion and um you said you've always been a creative person and a visual person and you went to that fashion show when you were in school, but did you have an interest in fashion prior to that or was it just something that you thought would be good for your creative, the creative side of you? How Talk to us a little bit more about that. Well, yeah, so a couple of things. It's, it's <laughs> been funny to tell people that I'm now, you know, essentially in the fashion industry, although just on the periphery of it at the moment, but they look at me and they're like, not that they don't think that I dress well, but it just seems like such a switch from politics to go into fashion. But if you look at it, you know, for the foreseeable future, we're going to be wearing clothing. Uh, it's one of the basic necessities in life in a lot of ways, at least in the way we set society up now. Uh, and I think there's something really powerful about uh, the impact of the, what we wear both on ourselves and how people perceive us. So I think that's an interesting space. In terms of my personal interest in it, looking looking back, I can see it. I mean, I was the kid that was shopping for skinny jeans in the, you know, in Salvation Army stores when they weren't available in West Michigan uh, through retailers and have always been interested in shoes and what I wore, um, but never considered fashion as something that I would ever do. And in in college, I started to get more interested in it, both from the again the way that it impacts um, ourselves and the people around us. In t- terms of you know, if I if I'm wearing something that I feel good about, I know that I look good in that impacts how I'm carrying myself, how I'm feeling, and you know, for better or for worse, the way that we look has a big impact on how yeah. other people perceive us. Yeah. Uh, so there's that side of it, and I. I also love the uh, on the creative side this mix between you know utilitarianism in that it's it's something we got to wear but it's also this incredible way to express uh, who we are and I think you know we decided to first go after really the the highest end of fashion the luxury market um, because that allowed us to do a lot of the ethical and sustainable things that we want to do but also because uh, that gave us some some freedom to make really, really great products. Uh, but I think one of the perhaps more subtle distinctions that I'm interested in is the difference between fashion as an attempt to buy respect or an attempt to gain um, approval from something external versus fashion that's an expression of who you are inside and the best of you. Um, yeah. And I think especially in 
kind of the luxury fashion world, the high fashion world, you get you get a lot of people where the label is uh, some attempt to prove that they've made it or to show off their wealth or to show what they represent. Uh, and I don't, I think that in a society that focuses so much on consumption, that's a dangerous place to be. But I also think there's this other side where fashion can be a beautiful expression of the best of yourself and, and what you want to portray. But, you know, for example, I hope that when people wear our stuff, it's an expression of, you know, they, they say this makes me feel good. It represents, you know, simplicity, quality, and a meaningful relationship with the clothing that, that we have in our lives every day. We talk about this idea of, in many ways, meaningful simplicity. So we're making clothing that's very simple, and we're doing that on purpose. And I think in design and in creative processes, it's easy to go minimal because that's trendy, um, or to be minimal simply for the sake of being minimal or simplistic. But we really want to do it because the most simple products are the ones that allow us to focus on the things that are meaningful in life. So simplicity for the sake of meaning is really something that we strive towards. I love that. Yeah, it's I we talk a lot on the show about body image and about um making your life as a whole really great and wonderful, not just your physical body or, or how you look. And I think fashion is is such a big part of that. And I recently had some people on talking about style and we were saying or I think they said you know fashion is a way to show your authentic personality that's on your inside on the outside and I think that what you were saying is such a great depiction of that too and you're not only you know supporting financially by purchasing the product and and putting you know money back into something that is so great but you're also you know making a statement by maybe starting a conversation with someone about your t-shirt or like you were doing with the lawn service so I think that that's that's really cool it was it was good to learn more about that so why the white t-shirt of all places um to start I know you spoke about this and it's it's in your video but can you tell for the people listening why you decided to start with the white t-shirt I think the white t-shirt is the quintessential American men's fashion item. I think it's one of our greatest contributions to the garment industry, to uh, fashion. It represents so much. It's a great unifier in that, you know, everyone can wear a white t-shirt. It's the first thing I put on just about every day. And it's historically been a symbol of everything from the rebel to the working class and in a place like Detroit I think it's a great item to start with it's also a well I, I don't want to discount how complex making anything great is because it's taken us over two years to get into production on a white t-shirt but it's a somewhat simpler item to get up and running in terms of manufacturing so we look at it both as kind of this core item in our wardrobe and in our offering but also as uh, in some ways a proof of concept this is where we want to get started if people can respond to this on a white you know on a white t-shirt then we hope that they'll respond to it as we continue to release more items but it's really you know I think a great a, a great item to be making in Detroit a wardrobe staple uh, and something that has a, a long and powerful history 
in American culture. Yeah. So do you see yourself expanding to more items in the future? And can you talk a little bit about, you know, some of your visions and goals? Definitely. I, I'll try to stick to the somewhat near term rather than like the 20-year vision. But the goal is to continue to release products um, one at a time with Laszlo. The the essence for us around Laszlo is doing everything at the highest level possible. It's just pushing boundaries on quality, on sustainability, uh, thinking through designs in terms of how they look now and how they look 10 years down the road. I wanted to do an absolute deep dive, and I find that easier to do one product at a time. So the white t-shirt is something that we're doing now. It doesn't need to be reinvented every season. We made the conscious choice to go product by product rather than releasing a full collection every season, both because it's easier to, to make that way, uh, but also because it allows us to get something right and then move on to the next one. You know, So much of fashion right now is... And especially fast fashion is about you know, buying really cheap stuff that is basically the same thing over and over and over again. And by focusing on one item at a time, we hope we can get it to a level that we don't have to, to come back to it. It's like, all right, this is your white T-shirt. It's going to look good for the next decade. Um, now we'll move on to, to what's next. So what's next for us is probably um, a sweatshirt. Uh, we want to make everything to the highest level possible. So... For the white t-shirt, you know, that meant two years of fittings and, and sampling and trying, you know, infinite numbers of construction around vents and necklines, um, developing a custom fabric. We'll probably be developing custom fabrics for each product we do so that we can really create that incredible mix of comfort and quality and sustainability. Um, so the sweatshirt's probably next. We'll do a few versions of that, potentially a couple of fits. Uh, and then I'd love to get into denim. And I think cool. a wardrobe based around, you know, T-shirts, sweatshirts, and denim, I mean, that's that's what I wear every single day. Yeah, I think um, everybody, it's some variation of that. And and it might take us a year per item. So, you know, it, it might take us a year to get a sweatshirt up to, to the place that I really feel great about it and get the fabric made and, and get into production. And then it might take us even longer to get denim up and running. I mean, denim is a really challenging business. I have, you know, I've, I've sketched out what the, the vision looks like, but then, you know, finding out what raw cotton is available and who's spinning at the level that we need to and who's doing the highest level weaving in the States. And there's a difference between, you know, knit fabrics, which a T-shirt and a sweatshirt are both. So a T-shirt's a jersey, knit. Sweatshirt, we'll be doing a French terry, uh, Knit fabrics are easier to get in smaller quantities when you're doing custom runs, whereas woven fabrics, are, there's a more limited production of woven fabrics in this country, and so it's, you have to order larger minimums. It's much more expensive. Um, but you know, we, we have some other projects that hopefully will fill in the gaps, um, but you know, we're looking at one or two items a year coming out and doing them at the very, very high, highest level. Cool. Do you think it'll continue to be a men's brand, or do you think that you'll expand to women's wear as well? For for the short or the near future, I would say it stays men's. Uh, we've also had, you know, a a lot of interest from women as well. I mean, first of all, I think women look great in white t-shirts, like. It is totally uh, 
okay for her women to wear the, the tees we've got. But um, Laszlo has really kind of evolved out of a pursuit of clothing that I would wear every day. As someone that's just getting into the industry, I feel more comfortable designing stuff that I'm intimately familiar with. Yeah. Um, so we're exploring what, when, and uh, what a women's collection look like looks like, but that hasn't been decided yet, and it's not a short-term priority. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. There's this great David Bowie quote that I don't even know I'm trying to quote right now because I don't even actually remember exactly what it is, but basically what he's saying is like, when I stopped trying to do things for other people and just did what I liked creatively, that's when I got the best result from it. So I think that's, you know, that's what I try to do with my work. I ask what I'm curious about and I do what I like and I think the reaction is really good. So that makes sense that you're creating, you know, for the need that, that you have and then it'll grow from there. I think that's really smart. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think that, you know, between the, you know, the fabrics that we're doing and the production we're setting up, I hope that we have the opportunity to, um, eventually expand, you know, into a, a much wider range of, of women's and products um, for both genders. Cool. But you know, the focus right now is getting started and and being the the best at what we do, rather than the biggest. I'm a, a big fan of starting small and and making mistakes while the stakes are smaller, mm-hmm. uh, rather than trying to do it all at once because those inevitable missteps and hiccups will have a much bigger cost. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So going back to the start of everything, why why Detroit? And you said you didn't grow up here. You didn't grow up on this side of the state. Why did you want, and you didn't go to school over here, um, why did you want to come to this area and why did you think that it was important to do this here? I think there were a number of reasons why I'm in Detroit. Uh, one of them is that it's close to family, so I can go home and visit my parents And on the weekend. I love Michigan as a state. I think there's tremendous pen- potential for this state to be a leader in everything from you know sustainable manufacturing to continuing its legacy of culture. Um, I looked at... Um, moving to a couple different places, some that were at the forefront of sustainable design and then also Detroit. Detroit obviously is not a leader in sustainable anything right now. Um, But I think the potential is here to really be an example for what a sustainable, equitable 21st century post-industrial city might look like. I really don't think there's anywhere more exciting in the world to be right now. Um, and it was something that I wanted to be a part of. I mean, I literally spent, I think that, that summer right after college, the first morning that I spent here, I was hooked. Uh, it's just the people, the architecture, the attitude, the grit, um, it was, I mean, I had, I had a good time on the East Coast in a lot of ways, but there's something about the Midwest that really tugs at my heart, and I wanted to be, to be back. I love that. That's great. 
So what does your day-to-day look like now? I'm sure it's different than it was at the beginning, but you have probably a, a lot on your plate. Like, What is the team like now? You are empowering formerly incarcerated people. Like, What is that experience like? Do you do that training? Like, how, What is your team like now, and what does your day-to-day look like as being in charge of all this? There are a lot of a lot of questions in there. Day to day is wildly different. Uh, I think we're at such a small scale right now, and such a small team that you know we're all you know making big decisions while also sweeping the floor. Um, it's for me the focus is trying to balance getting up and running with uh, putting in place a strategic vision that gets us to profitability and scale you know, over the next few years. The team consists of myself, my sister who's a co-founder, um, and then we have a production manager and our first sewing machine operator out of the prison program. So there's four of us now. We, again, chose to start small so that we could go through the process of getting into production, of you know, assessing the level of skill for the, the men coming out of this prison sewing program. Uh, and, and now we're starting to, I would say, turn a corner and say, okay, we've got production up and running. We've trained so- someone. Now it's time to see what this looks like if we bring a few more people on board and you know, start producing at a much higher level the you know i'm so my sister is doing a lot of work on the natural dyeing as well as you know again everyone is doing a little bit of everything but i i try to stay um involved in every piece i'm very uh i guess you would say obsessive about the details whether that's shirt construction or you know branding packaging, website design, sales across the board. Um, I look forward to a time when, you know, we've got a bigger team, but it's also, I think, a special time right now and that there's just a few of us that are all in on making this something special. Cool. Yeah, I love that. It's really great, too, that it's a family business and that you get to work with your sister and you have, for a long time, have you guys always been close? Are you guys close in age? And what's it like to work with? A family member. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. Catherine and I have, I mean, obviously we've been at this for a while now. Um, Catherine is, she's two and a half years older than me. She, when I, when I graduated, Catherine was working. Um, she, she was supervising an animal hospital in the Gambia. Oh, wow. Cool. Uh, which was a position she did for a year after that was done. Uh, I had been working on Lazo for about a year, and I recruited her to come back and join me. Um, it, it's wonderful working with someone that you that you know very well, and that there's never a question of whether they get it or whether they're in on the vision. Um, yeah. So you know that's been an opportunity that I think most people don't have. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's really cool. One of my favorite, one of my friends is also an entrepreneur and she has a business with her sister. And 
I'm always so jealous of that. I just feel like it, it brings a different level of like rapport and then trust. I mean, there's no, it's just an extreme level of trust, I guess, you know, with a sibling. I'm an only child, so I guess I don't even really know, but it just seems like it would be really awesome. My family had a business as well. And I think it's, I don't know. I just think it's cool. It's yes. probably hard to transition out of it and you just be brother and sister and just hang out. Or do you guys have trouble like turning off work? I, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I am very intense. I mean, I'm not great at, at turning off. Um, I'm up at all hours of the night with ideas that come to me, writing them out. I really don't shut up about brainstorming ideas. I'm pretty extroverted, so I'm constantly talking about it. Dude, I feel you on all of that. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's a a pretty normal um, state for someone that has an idea they're really passionate about and is all in on it. Um, Between the two of us, we're both very intense, so sometimes we have to very consciously say, okay, you know, it's 8 o'clock at night, we need to stop talking about work so that we can sleep, or, you know, we should really go back to our parents' place this weekend and not bring the computers with us and just chill. Yeah. That's good that you kind of have each other to keep you grounded and maybe one can kind of say to the other, like, let's turn this off right now, let's shut down, and that's probably helpful. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's a, a, a real blessing, I think, to have this, this chance to uh, go all in on someone who's, you know, yeah. Your absolute closest friends. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So with your other employees, what is it like empowering? What has your experience been, I guess, empowering formerly incarcerated people? I, you know, it's, I'm just getting started. I think I still have so much learning to do, um, both as a, someone with employees and as someone that works with a population that I think is really misunderstood, underutilized, abused across the board, just about any adjective. Um, I feel incredibly lucky to um, be able to work with um, our first employee to spend... 20 years in prison and come out with a giant smile, a humble attitude and, uh, an added, you know, a, an ability to just light up the room when he comes in, you know, that's a, an opportunity for me. I have so much to learn from, from someone like that. One of the things we found is that not everyone coming out of prison is going to be in a good place, but, um, so many of the people that come out have an incredible um, level of self-awareness and then put in hard work at uh, preparing themselves to really contribute and give back in a special way. And I, you know, I'm excited about what that holds. You know, we've also found that there are real challenges. Just the fact that, you know, these these returning citizens are coming out of prison with a criminal record and no credit history. I mean, it's pretty much impossible to find housing under their own name. 
so there's this mix of you know really seeing the potential and and it's it's not so much what I do as a manager as it is about uh, saying here's an opportunity and then getting out of the way uh, while providing the support they need but there's there's that and then there's you know again these real world challenges of figuring out housing figuring out healthcare I mean figuring out how to use a mobile phone our our first employee has been phenomenal he you know had never had a cell phone before he'd never used the internet before and within six weeks of of getting out he taught himself how to use a computer signed up for an online class and then was an honor roll 4.0 student in his first semester of online classes Mm. i mean that's just incredible that has to feel really great for you to be able to empower someone with with that and just be around and support that yeah i mean it's an honor for me to get to work with people like that yeah oh that's so cool so what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs who want to do things differently like you do with laszlo be in it for the long haul that's i guess the core of it when i was getting started uh the fall of 2013 i sat down with someone who had worked with um a couple of programs that helped to hire guys out of prison and train them for jobs. And he said, it was my birthday, it was my 23rd birthday. And we're having coffee and he said, it'll be two years before you hire anyone in our making shirts in Detroit. And I looked at him and I was like, no, you're crazy. Two years? I'm, I can move faster than that. He's like, no, two years. And I was like, nah, I'm special. Turns out I'm not special. Mm-hmm. Because literally the weekend after my 25th birthday, two years later, we, we had our, our team uh, in the workshop for the first time. So it's a long process. Don't, uh, and I would also say don't be surprised or offended or frustrated when, when most people don't get your vision or don't see just how big you're dreaming. I think one of the things I've struggled with, and I think many entrepreneurs that are really trying to think deeply about uh, social change is communicating you know the depth at which we're trying to to address change so a lot of people still think this is a venture about a t-shirt uh, or this is a venture about simply hiring guys out of prison and it's it's that but it's so much more for me it's about an entire world and life view that says you know, there's a relationship between the way we consume. There's a relationship between the type of company we work at and our happiness and our health. There's such a thing as enough when it comes to wealth. And that just about everything we've thought up about business is entirely uh, human ideas. And we can change those ideas and that there's really an, I don't know there's a chance to move forward to a whole something so much bigger than than what we're doing right now and that's that's exciting but it takes you know it takes people really being willing to go out on a limb to seize that so if if you have an idea you know make sure you believe in it and then don't worry about other people not getting it just go out and make it happen mm, nice love that so I think someone might have asked this at Creative Mornings, but I don't remember your 
your advice or your answer, but do you have any inspiration from either other brands in general doing good in the world or other fashion lines, um, either, you know, aesthetically or that are making progress um, with these sorts of things? There are so many great, I don't know, people in the fashion industry. There are so many great companies addressing real issues right now. Two for me that that I come back to are uh, Yvonne Chouinard, who's the founder of Patagonia. Uh, I mean, Patagonia has been a leader in sustainability and in thinking about the role of business in our society and culture. And you know, I continue to look to to him, the founder, as you know, as someone that I can learn from. And then I, there are a number of brands in terms of. Um, their design that I'm really impressed by, but one in protect, particular is um, Brunello Cuccinelli. It's a luxury fashion house out of um, Italy that has essentially turned fashion into philosophy in making the most incredibly high quality, beautiful pieces. Um, and you know that's something that we inspire to do as well. Cool. Cool, very cool. You're well on your way. So what advice do you have for people wanting to take a more, wanting to live a more ethical life and specifically have a more ethical wardrobe? Where would you advise that anyone kind of starts with that, even if they're feeling overwhelmed by making that change? Do you have any advice for them? Don't feel like you have to do it all at once. I think it's, it's really easy to uh, to realize that you need to make a change and it can be overwhelming when all of a sudden you know you look at your closet and see that just about everything has been made in you know despicable conditions but it's not very sustainable to throw everything out and buy all new stuff yeah so you know my approach has been and, and my wardrobe has changed dramatically in the last three years by doing this, but it's been one item at a time, buy quality, buy local, buy brands that are honest and telling their story and that share values similar to yours. And, you know, there's not a perfect wardrobe out there. Um, I don't know that, you know, you could buy everything from your favorite shoes to a nice suit to your athletic wear in a way that's 100% ethical and sustainable. But being aware and being curious um, about how your stuff is made, and it's going to be expensive. I think that's um, something that you know anyone that's willing to take responsibility for the way that they dress is going to have to to come up against. And it's not. I mean, the truth is, on the production side, it's not ten or fifteen percent more expensive to make things ethically and sustainably it's 10 or 15 times more expensive and yeah. so you know we can't consume at the level that we're used to and do it in a way that's also also ethical and sustainable you know so part of that transition is going to have to be having less stuff and the flip side of that is that you can buy a lot nicer stuff that lasts longer and looks better and that you feel great wearing. So my wardrobe is smaller than it's ever been right now, but every single thing I have 
goes together. Every single thing I have, I know where it was made, what it's made of, and I know that you know I feel good when I wear it. And so I think a lot of people, you know, rightly so, get overwhelmed when they start this transition. But you know, if you do it one piece at a time, I mean, I literally have a, a list of you know the next five items that I want to buy. They're all really expensive. I save up for a couple months, and then I buy one, and then I move on to the next. Um, yeah. And it's a lot more exciting and rewarding way to get dressed. Yeah, totally. I've I've been doing that too. You know, I I'm really glad with what you said about you know being gentle with yourself and knowing that it's not going to be perfect um, at least right away. And I think that that's that was I watched the True Cost documentary and just like felt terrible. <laughs> and I think it just takes some time. And something that's really helped me is I have a capsule wardrobe. I don't know if you like are familiar with that but basically it's like you narrow everything down your closet to like 37 pieces or it can be less or more than that um with like everything you own and then everything goes together and it's great because you get excited because you don't shop for like three months or whatever the season is and you get excited to you know get those new items or you know put the ones that are worn in storage or pass them on to someone else and I think that that's so great. And then it also takes off the pressure of, you know, getting dressed every day and trying to figure out what you're going to wear and trying out a bunch of things because you know everything you have fits you and goes with each other and you feel good in and is sustainable, hopefully. And I think that that takes the pressure off of you and is just better for your mental health as well. Yeah. I mean, I wore, I went to, uh, when was it? A year and a half ago, I was at uh, New York Fashion Week and wore the same outfit every day for a week. Uh, not that anyone noticed, but it was kind of internally being okay with uh, wearing the same stuff a whole lot more often than we do now. I think men have a little bit more freedom to do this right now, which is a problem. I think there's more cultural pressure on women to constantly be changing what they wear, but I hope that we can move past that uh, because it's really powerful to, like you said, not have to think about getting that perfect outfit and just have a few things that you can continually turn to. Um, But going back again to the true cost, I think, you know, that was an important movie for me as well. Uh, And I think it's done great things in reaching an audience that hasn't necessarily been aware of these challenges, but it, it does. And I don't think this is necessarily something specific to the true cost. I think this is, is true of a lot of things in sustainable fashion is in many ways, it often leaves us just with a feeling of guilt. Um, and I think it's so important to, you know, to have, an, have something in front of you that gets you excited rather than just makes you feel guilty. So with Lazlo, we've been very careful in our branding. It's never about feeling guilty, never about charity. It's about um, a meaningful relationship with material goods. It's about something that feels great and gets you excited. Mm. And I think that's going to be, I think there are two important steps that sustainable fashion has to make. Um, And they're not around getting priced down or being price competitive. It's about telling a story that people want to be a part of rather than people feel bad about. And it's about focusing on great products and great design instead of relying on ethics and sustainability as a crutch, which I think is often... They they should be a great part of your story, but they sh- they're not enough. 
if the product doesn't stand on its own. I love that. Yeah, I think that's really important. I really especially liked what you said about not making people feel guilty as part of your branding, but getting people excited about focusing on the good of what they're doing just by purchasing a product that they're also really excited about and love. I love that. And I, I, I have great faith in people as good people. And, and as you know, I don't think people wake up and say, man, I really want to, you know, buy something today that a child slave made. Yeah. Perhaps there's a bit of willful ignorance, but it's, you know, it's part of this culture that's been focused so much on consumption and on growth. And that has, that, uh, I mean, the consumption by American consumers of fashion has grown exponentially in the last few decades, and we don't even realize it. But for most of, you know, most of this country's existence and for most of human existence, we've been, you know, surviving with a whole lot fewer things in our wardrobe. Um, and we've been sold this myth somehow that we're inadequate or that, you know, we can solve all of our problems by buying more stuff. Yeah. And frankly, it's just this never-ending, you know, circle of unhappiness and inadequacy and consumption to solve those problems at least if you know if you you've totally bought into that cycle and i think stepping outside of that one of the things for me that's been really powerful is stepping away from a lot of the i don't know the branding and advertising and marketing that's focused on constant consumption and just surrounding myself with with brands that have the same values that i do and how kind of freeing that is um to yeah you know just, i don't know just be be away from that mm-hmm. pressure to to constantly have the new yeah for sure and you know going back to even just the the concept of having less to make having to make less choices you know i think like steve jobs wore the same like black turtleneck all the time and i found that like even when i did have a lot more clothes like when i was in high school and just when i was younger like i would still pretty much gravitate towards like one outfit that i knew i liked and like knew fit well and like i felt comfortable in anyway so having less is really liberating yeah and you know there's been all kinds of studies. I mean, Barack Obama has basically two yeah. color suits that he wears all the yeah. time because he doesn't want to spend any time making choices yeah. about what he's wearing. Uh, and it's also true that the more choices we have, the, the less happy we are yeah. with any of the results. Uh, so, you know, if you have a, a stuffed wardrobe, you'll probably be less happy with anything. Yeah. Than you would be if you had a lot fewer options, but things that you felt great about. Yeah, I was just reading something about that. I'm really fascinated by that, too, because I think choice just stresses us out a lot as humans, and minimizing as much of that as possible has been liberating for me, and I think it's important. So this has been really fun. Let's wrap up with my quick-fire questions that I ask everyone. You ready for them? Yep. Okay, so just say the first thing that comes to your mind, and yeah. So what's your favorite color? Blue. Favorite day of the week? Sunday. If you could have a superhero power for a day, what would you have? Flying. Nice. So do you have any morning routines or maybe you could tell us the first few things you do when you wake up in the morning and how that affects how the rest of your day goes? I generally get up 
do some kind of exercise, ideally go for a run, um, eat, and then I do morning journaling and meditate. Um, oh, no and way. Then, and then often do a little bit of reading. I think the freedom to, or giving myself permission to take that time makes me a whole lot more relaxed and makes me feel like I'm investing in myself uh, and sets the tone for the rest of my day. Cool, yeah. Have you been a journaler for a long time? Since like maybe the last three years, it's been incredibly helpful for me just to get things out on paper. So most of it I never read again. Some of it turns yeah. into to writing that's very helpful. Um, I've really spent a lot of time um, f- developing a morning routine that works for me. Um, I think you know I've started getting up earlier. I like to get to work a little bit before other people when when all goes well have some time in the office by myself um but that that feeling of spending the first you know two hours of the day just yeah it's magic time feeling great and then you know yeah. getting to work at eight thirty and and right away tackling the you know top priority for the day eating the frog yeah <laughs> Yeah, I. that's why I asked that question because the mornings are my favorite time of the day and, and I love that and mine really mirrors yours. Um, and I love that you're a journaler. Awesome. Yeah, I, I try to write a, a couple pages of just what I'm feeling. Um, I often journal at night as well, but a couple pages of how I'm feeling and then I write three things that I'm grateful for and three nice. things that I'm looking forward to is kind of the end. Um, that's the end of, end of the the entry. That's so funny. That's so my book is 55 journal prompts, journal exercises because a lot of the people who were reading the blog and listening to the podcast would give me a lot of smack about, well, I don't have time to journal or I don't, you know, I'm not a writer, I wouldn't have anything to say, so it really came out of a need for that and it's 55 journal exercises and that gratitude one is is kind of similar to one of the exercises in the book. So it's it's funny. I'll have to send you a copy of the book so you can check oh, it out. Oh, yeah, definitely. My my mother and father are both social workers, uh, clinical therapists, and they've forever been uh, sharing all kinds of brain research with me. And oh, so cool. a lot of this stuff has come out of a fascination with the way that our brain works and how to yeah. set yourself up for success as much as possible. Cool. So you're also a meditator. What kind of meditation do you do? Um... Everything from basically sleeping to uh, using the app Headspace, which I find helpful at times when I'm getting out of a routine. I mean, I basically just sit there for somewhere between you know 10 and 20 minutes once or twice a day and focus on breathing, letting thoughts come in, letting them go out. Um, with the amount of intensity that I approach things, it's very helpful to... Yeah. You know, it's not about for me, and I, you know, I, I'm not professing to be an expert on it, but it's not necessarily about, you know, being able to have this perfectly clear mind, but about being able to keep coming back to the breath and keep coming back to that stillness and just letting things go. Yeah, I completely agree. Have you ever tried um, or thought of doing transcendental meditation (TM)? I have. I. At some point, I would love to explore a lot of these things in, in more depth. Um, I can send you a couple of podcasts. <laughs> yes, yes, please do. <laughs> yeah, I, I was very interested in TM, and um, 
my one of my mentors, the person who wrote the foreword for my book, was a it became a TM meditator, and she connected me with someone from the David Lynch Foundation to have on the podcast. And I didn't really know too much about it. And then after I did, I ended up learning um, TM somewhat recently, like in the last year, from someone locally. And completely, my favorite type of meditation really works for me. The 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening. I can't recommend it enough. So I'll send you that podcast when it comes out. Great. Looking forward to it. So what about in the evening? What are the last few things you do before you go to sleep? How do you relax and wind down at the end of your day? So I'm a big fan of reading. Um, Like I said, in the morning, I try to read. um, Morning, I generally read business books, philosophy, or um, political policy activism stuff. Um, In the evening, I love novels. And I found that half an hour to an hour of reading before bed is perhaps the best thing I can do to wind down. Um, you know, I, if I ever get home from work in decent time, which is the goal, uh, I enjoy cooking and try to get to bed pretty early. So, nice. yeah. So, what's your, um, what are you reading right now? What novel? I'm reading. Uh, this is the second time I've been through it. It's one of my favorite. It's called uh, The Razor's Edge by Somerset Mom. Oh, somebody else on the, when I asked a, this question, said that recently. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing the author's name right, but it's a fantastic book. This, there's just these nuggets of beautiful philosophy about life um, and kind of sprinkled in among you know, it was great storytelling. Cool. That's my favorite kind of book like that. Favorite kind of movie too, like anything like that. Cool. Um, so what is something that you're doing right now that you're afraid of, but you're doing anyway? How are you challenging yourself? <laughs> Everything. It's funny. Friends ask, you know, they're like, how do you know how to start a business? I'm like, I don't, I don't have a clue. No one does. There's no yeah. annual, there's no... <laughs> you know, checklist on how you get it. Um, yeah, I get that. I yeah. say that to me too. How did, how do you start a podcast? How did you write a book? And I was like, I don't know. I just figured it out. I probably didn't do it right, but you just do it. Yeah. I mean, every, I would say I'm challenging myself across the board. Um, by starting something that one, I'm incredibly passionate about. And two, I realized just how, um, challenging it is to actually become successful. Um, in terms of, you know, areas of, of personal growth that I'm looking at, I mean, certainly having employees and being responsible for others is new to me and something I take very seriously and something that can be, or at least I find, very intimidating because now it's not just me and my ideas, but it's, you know, an employee and her husband and you know another employee and his family and you know that's a, a level of responsibility that I'm still getting used to yeah for sure that's a good one and it, it certainly puts the pressure on making smart decisions and you know I've invested a lot of money from people that I well a lot in at least in in my relative scale um 
from people that I'm very close with. And, you know, that's something that I think about a lot. I want to make sure that I'm making the best decisions with that. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I, you know, I feel very grateful that, that those people trusted me and also feel a little bit surprised because on many days it feels like I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. I think that's just part of being in our 20s. You know, I think it's like it's just a second adolescence that we're going through and learning new things <laughs> all the time. Yeah, and no, just figuring and there's, it out. there's literally nothing I would rather be doing right now. It's, you know, I, it's fun to look back and see how, you know, how I got here. And if you would have told me that, you know, even a couple of years ago that I'd be doing, you know, luxury fashion, essentially, I would have been like, uh, doubt it. But, you know, now that I'm doing it, I feel like this is the only thing that I could possibly be doing right now. Mm. I love that. That's how you know it's right. So this is a lighter question. What is the best thing you've eaten in the last week? The best thing I've eaten in the last week? Oh, man. Honestly, probably chips and guacamole from Honeybees. Oh, yum. Guac is the best. Yeah. have you? I, I don't know if you've been to Honeybees, a little Mexican uh, grocery store. Oh, is that – I? someone was just telling me about that. It's like that really authentic Mexican restaurant, but it's like in the back of a like grocery store. It's in. It's on. It's in Southwest. It's a. Um, they yeah. So they. I mean, they make all, a lot of their. I mean, their tortillas, their chips, their rocks, also all of the. Oh my above. gosh! Now I'm starving so for Mexican food. <laughs> yeah. Right. No. It's it's literally it's sitting so on the good. counter, like across the room from me, and I've been staring at it for an hour. Oh man. <laughs> okay. Well, we got it. We got to wrap this up. Okay. Only a couple more. So you're having a dinner party. This is a fun one too. And you can invite five people. Who would you invite? What would you cook or eat? <laughs> um, and what do you hope someone turns and asks you at the party? And what do you really hope that someone doesn't ask and you just don't feel like talking about it anymore? Mm. Five people. Let's see here. That's a tough one. Well, we've already dis- discussed a bunch of art. Um, and Brunello Cuccinelli and then I would probably say um, Barack Obama I would go with Michelle Obama nice uh, both because we're both we're Princeton alumni and because mm-hmm. I think she's an incredible person and then Emma Watson <laughs> nice that is quite the squad yeah. So what would, yeah, what would you what would you cook for them? Um, depends if they're vegetarians. I sure hope not. Uh, <laughs> I would probably do Mexican food. Um, you can get takeout. No, 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 no. I'm a. This would be a dinner like this. I would take the time to properly prepare, <laughs> uh, and I think cooking is one of the great joys in life. Um, so, I mean, probably pretty standard Mexican fare. Tacos. Nice. So, what do you hope that they turn and ask you, and what do you hope that they don't? That you just don't want to feel like talking about. Ooh. I mean, I love talking about. 
almost utopian dreams for the future. Um, so I hope they ask, you know, perhaps where you see Detroit in 20 years or where do you think Detroit could be in 20 years? I want to know that. Will you tell us that now? (laughs) Right now? Yeah. Uh, so (laughs) I'm convinced that Detroit has the natural resources, the technological capacity, the grit and resiliency, um, and the experience of um, systemic failure that I, I think that combination makes it a really potent place to rethink uh, everything from how we think about public transportation to how we provide energy to how we manufacture goods. Uh, my my dream for Detroit is that it becomes a leader in sustainable manufacturing. I think there's something really powerful about Detroit's history of manufacturing, and I think there's something really powerful just in general about making products. So I hope that cool. Detroit seizes that as part of its identity that says if you want to make something sustainably, if you want to make something in a way that builds communities, come to Detroit. Nice. That was my hope. And I hope it, it, I mean, this city's been in crisis mode for 70 years. And I hope that through, you know, the work of the amazing people that have been dealing with, you know, a lot of these challenges for decades, as well as uh, emerging leaders, I hope it's, it's able to um, focus more on becoming a just equitable society will people people have an opportunity i mean the fact that teachers had a sick out and then were sued by uh the people in charge of the school system for slacking on their responsibility instead of responding and saying wow you know teachers probably don't go on strike unless things are really screwed up let's figure out how to fix this i mean this city has so much work to be done to provide basic services to, I mean, we're failing the kids of Detroit, just like we failed the kids in Flint. And I hope that uh, we're, we being all of the people that care about Detroit, the, the new ones like me and the ones that have been here for 80 years, are able to, as a community, take a stand and really create something special Mm. nice well I really wish that you were not talking to me right now and you were actually with Barack Obama and Michelle Obama (laughs) and Emma Watson right now saying all that and we could like make a plan that could be like the next thing like everybody grab a taco and let's get to work (laughs) (laughs) right and then what do I want them not to ask me yeah Uh, I don't know. I just gave a talk um, at an event called Failure Lab, where I was essentially just saying, you know, talking about some internal failure, bearing my my soul a bit to a room full of people I didn't know. So I'm getting more comfortable with sharing the things that I've struggled with. Um, I mean, no one wants to be asked what their most embarrassing moment is. 
Yeah, or I was going to say you don't want them to be like, the guac's all gone. Right, what no, you- <laughs> or you don't want them to be, or <laughs> the way I'm going recently, I don't want them to be like, what do you do for fun? Because I'll be like, uh, work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> no, I, I, I'm a pretty open book if we haven't established that mm-hmm. already. Um, nice. So they can ask away. Nice. So, okay, last question. So you're trapped on a deserted island and you can only bring with you one book, one movie, one TV show, and one food that you wouldn't get sick of. One book would definitely be Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Um, Movie would be Casablanca. Actually, and and mention how you... um, (laughs) I forgot to ask that about how you came up with the name. Right. So I'm, well, I wouldn't call myself a movie buff. I would call myself a bit of a nerd when it comes to movies. Um, Laszlo comes from the movie Casablanca and the character Victor Laszlo, who is the dapper, daring epitome of a gentleman. uh, And, you know, he's everything from a humble and loving husband to the leader of the rebellion against the Nazis. He's really someone that I, think represents what we hope Laszlo represents. Cool. Yeah, I love that. It's like my favorite thing about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, TV show? Yep. I don't watch much TV, but I have watched every single episode of The Office at least once. Many of them multiple times, so that would probably be my pick. That would be very comforting to have with you on a deserted island, let's be real. Yes. So, Meditations... Casablanca, The Office, food. This is a tough one. (laughs) I don't tend to get sick of foods. I'm just trying to think about it. We can always go tacos again. We can keep this whole Mexican thing. I do really love Mexican food that's been established. Um, It's the best. Yeah. I would... Oh, man. But I might have to go with, like, my mom's lasagna. Mm. That would be, yeah. That'll make you feel like home. That's a good choice. Yes. Okay, so last little thing. Recommend in the following categories. Anything you've been liking recently or ultimate favorites, doesn't matter. So music, movie, book. It can be either like a song or an artist or an album you've been listening to lately. Same thing for movie. It can be something you've seen recently or like an all-time favorite and same thing for book. Okay, so man, there's there are so many good things out there. Um, in terms of music, I think you can't go wrong with Kendrick Lamar. He's probably on repeat more than nice. than anyone for me right now. Um, but Jason Isbell has also been one of my absolute favorites. I have kind of strange tastes in that I love country music and I also love hip hop um, as well as classical. But Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar taste. and Jason Isbell would be the the two for music in terms of books. Um, this is a one that I feel really powerfully about. It's a book called Writing My Wrongs that just came out. It's by a man named Shaka Senghor, who I think is one of the most incredible people on the planet. He's been a huge inspiration for me. He grew up in Detroit, 
was on the streets at 14, was shot at 17, killed someone shortly after that, spent 19 years in prison, seven years in solitary confinement, and is now the a professor at the University of Michigan, a fellow for the MIT Media Labs, a New York Times best-selling author. Wow. And he just had a show released where he was on the Oprah show, and she said huh. that the conversation with him was one of the best she'd ever had in her life. Wow. So I, I can't say much more than that, but it's an incredible call to um, putting yourself in other people's shoes, whether that's people that are on the other end of the political spectrum from you or whether that's um, people that have committed really atrocious crimes. And, um, I mean, that's that would be my takeaway, that that. that focus on the humanity of each of us and on um, kind of empathy to the nth degree were really the takeaways. It's a, it's a story about his life um, and about, you know, he's given a TED Talk as well about not letting your worst deeds define you. Um, but it's an incredible book and I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'm going to like watch his TED Talk and his Super Soul Sunday like right now. I'm so excited. Yeah. Never heard of him. I'll have to check out his book. I'm excited. Yeah, that's why. A, I, that's why I selfishly do do these questions just to like find cool stuff. No, he's mm-hmm. Shaka is an incredible human. Cool. Father, everything. Yeah, he's great. So, movie other than Casablanca. Ah. Uh, I would say probably the. Ooh, I was gonna go with the true cost. Maybe the true cost. Just. If you haven't seen it yet, watch it. Um, you've obviously you've seen it, but to the audience, um, yeah. yeah, I think cool. That's an important one. Nice. There are so many good movies out there. I tend not to go for documentaries, but there's. I think it can be a great way to share information. Oh, I would also say that uh, the Big Short. That was a a. Oh yeah, I've been wanting to see that fun and deeply disheartening uh, story on just the the reality of how much we're at the whims of a system that really doesn't have our own best interests at heart. Mm, Yeah, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for sharing everything that you did. Is there anything else you want to leave people with? No, I don't think so. Um, thanks for having me on. This has been great. Cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. So there you have it. How cool is Laszlo and Christian? I loved that conversation so much. It was so awesome to get to know him and have him on the podcast. And I'm so excited about this mini series and getting to introduce you guys to some really cool people here where I live doing some really cool things and I couldn't think of a better person to kick that off than Christian. So thank you to Christian for coming on the show. Everyone go check out his work, check out Laszlo. And you know, another thing I take away from this episode, because I just re-listened to it myself, and something that you might be thinking right now is that I really am craving some Mexican food. So I'm probably gonna go have some chips and some guac. I actually haven't made it to Honeybees yet. I rode my bike by it. We have this really cool thing here on Monday nights called the slow roll. 
and a couple weeks ago it was around southwest Detroit which is where Honeybees is and I went by it and I was like oh my gosh that's that place that that dude mentioned in the podcast and I still haven't been there so I'm gonna make a really big effort to go and I will be sure to Instagram it when I do so you can all sort of be there with me have an amazing week. Make sure you're on my email list so you can know who's coming up on the show next week. We have some really amazing guests and I can't wait for you to hear all these conversations. They're just sitting on my computer waiting to be aired. So I love you guys. Thank you for listening. As usual, if you want to support the show, you know what to do. Share it. Subscribe on iTunes. You know, just click subscribe. It's that purple button. It's like so easy. And you can also, if you're shopping on Amazon anyway, you might as well click through the website. And then that way, it helps the podcast. You're killing two birds with one stone. You're buying your Amazon Prime TV show, and you're also supporting your favorite podcast. All right, that's it. If you're still listening to my rambles, tweet at me your favorite Mexican food type you know like tacos burrito whatever what have you tweet at me so then I will know you've still been listening to my rambles that are happening very late at night all right I love you guys talk to you soon bye